Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we're talking to David Feldman, the official scorer and stats guru, about baseball potentially getting back up and running. We'll talk about A's owner John Fisher and his reversal on some financial decisions, and David and I will have a major, major disagreement. All of that next on A's Plus. At long last, it's David Feldman. We've got a whole program with Feldy's Follies today. It's about time, David. I, I've wanted to catch up with you for a while. We've got, do we have news? I don't know if we have news. I really, all, all anybody is thinking about, talking about, writing about is the state of baseball. Owners, players can't get together on what's going to happen with the season. It was on, it was off. Now it looks like maybe it's on again. What What are sort of your general reactions right now to what, to the, negotiations such as they are well they're just they're so they're so acrimonious and more so than any other time being fought on the social media landscape right where everything's being stories are being leaked out and here's this and then we're going to post our statement on social media so everyone can read how pissed off we are at the other side uh and none of that is really healthy right but now earlier this week Tony Clark and Rob Manfred meet in private in Phoenix and seem to actually get something done because nobody talked about it. Nobody set up the meeting. It just happened, right? And that's the way these things usually go, is once these guys get out of the public eye and get down to business, they seem to make progress. Of course, you know, all of a sudden we get this good news coming out of this meeting. Oh, we're going to play a 60-game schedule and the sides are coming to agreement and then you know, two hours later, the Players Association puts out a statement. There is no deal. We didn't agree to anything. So it's just, it's still so confusing and so disheartening what's happening. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I think baseball's kind of missed a trick here, right? Because they had the landscape kind of to themselves with pro sports. They could have come out, you know, and really made a splash. They could have picked up some new fans uh, with nothing else going on. Um, they could have really done the we're bringing the nation together thing. Uh, instead, what we're seeing a lot is a lot of rich people squabbling. And I think what gets lost in a lot of this is the people that aren't the rich people in baseball. You know, the, the people that have been working for teams for years and years, decades in some cases, who've been furloughed or had, had their pay reduced significantly. Um, you know, they're just kind of waiting like everyone else and no one considers them really a lot. That's, that's upsetting. And the A's, uh, have been sort of at the forefront of some of these financial decisions, as you know. You know, they were briefly the only team that was uh, had decided to stop paying stipends to minor leaguers, which is a pretty minor expense, 400 bucks a week, which I think was going to be a savings of less than a million dollars for John Fisher. Um, and they furloughed more than half of their employees, including almost all of their area scouts and all of their pro scouts. So, uh, significant. What, what were your uh, thoughts as that was all going on? Well, I, before John Fisher came out with his statement, what, what I was very was very aware of is we had heard nothing from Dave Cavill, right? Who has always been the, been the front man of the A's um, since he took over as the A's president. Uh, very active on on social media. You know, anytime somebody would complain about something at the Coliseum, he'd tweet back on it. Um, well, he was on nothing during this time. And uh, part of that could be the A's that told him, you're not saying anything. We're, we're going cone of silence. 
which is fine. But it's it was still a bad look. And then when the Fisher decision comes out originally, um, which again was was short sighted, was so short sighted, and for such little savings, um, there was no reason for it. But it was the first time he ever made any sort of public statement. It's the first time we ever heard him heard him as, as the A's owner. Um, so he was, you know, he was being the front guy at the time as the owner, and and that was I thought was good. At least you're going to make a terrible decision, own it. He did do that, and then with the backlash, he walked it back, which was fine. And it really it was frustrating to me when people were still criticizing him for changing his mind. Right. We want you to change your mind. Okay, I changed my mind. No, you shouldn't have had to change your mind. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> right. Right. Um, well, you, and you know, I've been trying to get him to do an interview with me for the entire time he's on the team, so 15-some years. I finally talked to him. It's not the circumstances I would have liked, but I kind of feel like you do. Like, he was thoroughly apologetic when we spoke, um, really genuinely apologetic. And, um, you know, I, I think he means well, and I don't think he realized there would be such a backlash. I'm, sh- I'm sure he did not say this, but I'm sure he thought that other teams were probably going to follow suit with the stipends. Yeah. And instead, we had teams like the Royals saying, hey, we're paying everybody in our organization for the rest of the season. We're, we're in for the whole way. We're not cutting back anywhere um, and looking great. And uh, But you're right. If he walks it back, fantastic. And then this week, some of the furloughed amateur scouts are also back and they're going to add more in with uh, the restrictions on in-person scouting having been lifted. So those are good steps. And I, I think, you know, maybe not applaud him for it because, okay, a lot of teams didn't do it, but certainly recognize he is doing the right thing. He's on the on track to do the right thing. And, and it's hard to say I was wrong. And, and he did. How often do you hear a billionaire say, I made a mistake, I was wrong? It just, you don't hear anybody say that really in in uh, the modern world. And he did. So I, did. I definitely, yeah. you know, I, I liked hearing that. And plus it was just fun to talk to the guy on the record finally. Yeah. So what were your impressions just of him of talking to him? Well, I've talked to him before, always off the record and he's very pleasant. He actually, uh, last year when the A's instituted their first um, media induction for their, their hall of fame, which was the late great Ron Bergman, which was wonderful. And, uh, one of the, for me, kind of one of the best days we've had at the Coliseum ever. It was wonderful. And they had a little party for him, which was fantastic. And Ron Bergman's family was there, an awful lot of the Bay Area media and old members of the media that you don't see, retirees, et cetera. And John Fisher came in. And we all just about fell on the floor. Like nobody, you know, this is a guy who's so media shy. But he came in and, and met the family and he kind of chit-chatted with a lot of, you know, the movers and shakers and Bay Area sports media. And uh, I, you know, I, he is not quite as media shy, I think, as is portrayed. He just doesn't want to say stuff on the record. He just doesn't like being interviewed. And not everyone does. I, I get that. He had something he felt was important to say. And I, uh, and he did. And that's great. I still would like to have a long sit down with him about everything, baseball, A's, whatever. Uh, but I'll, you know what? I'll take what I can get. So baby steps, baby steps. Yeah, he's you know he is pretty visible. He's more visible than people think because he he sits in his diamond level seat. Uh, used to see Lou Wolf sitting in that seat. You see John Fisher. He's at many of the games. He's there. Um, he's around. I remember the first time that uh, I actually remember meeting him was on our Japan trip in two thousand eight, uh, and we were getting on the charter and John Fisher and his family, and they just went to the back of the plane like normal folk. I, and half the people had no idea who he was. Yeah, he was um, back. He was the, back sitting in the kind of the coach area. 
with the right mm-hmm. group, you know, with the media all got stuck in the coach and everybody else had first class seats. And I remember he and his family were back there. I think that was partly because you get the full row back in coach, which I'm not <laughs> sure everybody had realized. We actually had it better back there. But yeah, we kind of turned around and we're like, wait, why is the owner sitting with the media? That's weird. Yeah. But yeah, he's yeah. not, he's a very pleasant person. I do think he means well. Uh, and you know, it's, I know it's probably not super easy being the owner of a sports franchise. There's like huge spotlight, but there is a big responsibility and your responsibility for a lot of employees. Now he's done that, um, with, you know, his involvement in other things, certainly, but, uh, this one is very visible. And I do think you need to be a little bit more in, in the media and, uh, doing interviews when you do have something that's so, so very, very public. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's also, you talk about the furloughs and, and probably layoffs as well, is that they went on a hiring binge over the last two years. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with the new stadium uh, and the all the efforts for that, they hired so many people and so many young people. Um, it was just, I think it was so funny, you know, we'd go to lunch in the, in the media dining room and that's where the employees would also eat. And every day it was this new wave of people and yeah. you never it saw seemed, before. It seemed like they were making an announcement about a new vice president of something or other every week for a while. It was crazy. There were positions I'd never even heard of existing before. You know, and they were really trying to set this up like a young tech company. Right. Um, And that's this vibe they were going for. And then when when this happened, I think they found out, well, we can't, we have nothing for these people to do and we can't pay them all. Yeah. Um, So we got into that situation. Let's talk about that a little bit because that's, you know, I, I know you heard a lot as I heard. While all that was going on, you know, there was there was a clash of cultures. You know, there was the sort of the old guard baseball people who had been with the A's forever. And we we know the A's, the whole A's ethos, right, has been kind of we're small, but we're hardy and we're very loyal. People stay there for years and years and years, even though they get offers elsewhere. They certainly could make more elsewhere. Um, but there's such a there really is a sense of family there. I, I do think that's one of the things that I think made people angry with John Fisher initially was in the email he sent to employees about the furloughs and and to season ticket holders. He kept talking about family, family, family. And I think the people that had worked there for 10, 20, 30 years were like, yeah, you don't furlough your family. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you don't stop paying them stipends, et cetera. So, uh, but there was this sense of kind of we're this small, rugged group and we're blue collar and we're sticking together and chip on our shoulder. And then it suddenly all these young tech kind of people, I don't not necessarily want to say tech bro because that's very derogative. And I, I, a lot of the people that were hired were fantastic, wonderful, but there was that kind of atmosphere and it made many of the existing people uncomfortable. Um, you know, there were sort of uh, like corporate game kind of days and stuff like uh-huh. that. And I, I remember talking to some people who were just trying to get their regular work done who were like, I'm trying to work here and there are people playing hide and seek around my desk or something. I don't know what's happening. So it was, it was strange. Um, and I think they maybe kind of went out a little too hard, too fast with, with some of the hires and they cut back, you know, the first round of layoffs the A's had was in January before any of this happened, because I think they, they expanded too fast. The stadium stadiums take a long time. I don't think they needed to get up and running for a new stadium when there aren't shovels in the ground yet, uh, there's a lot of legwork to be done, but uh, I don't think to the extent that they did all in favor of teams, hiring loads of people love it, want full employment, but I don't think 
the A's weren't necessarily in the position to do that. Last year, and I know people will dispute this because the Forbes uh, in breakdown of baseball teams, uh, assets, profits, etc., says the A's made money last year. People involved in ownership, people who know the A's books, all insist the A's lost money last year. And I believe it. I think, you know, they exploded with these salaries and there are a lot of other things. And some of the things that either Forbes isn't privy to or doesn't take into account with our accounting, you know, usually the A's make money. And they've also lost their revenue sharing entirely. So uh, this is this is not a team that is making money on the level that they were before. Uh, certainly in the Mike Crowley years when they spent very little and they had some successful seasons and they, they made a lot of money. This is a team that spent a lot in the last few years. They are. and um, Not on the field. You know, you're right. <laughs> uh, no. Although, they're, you know, ready to go over the $100 million payroll this year. But uh, it, was, it was different with, you know, Chris Giles, the former COO, um, and the attitude and atmosphere that he brought. Um, and the people that he hired, and like you said, this this games and and other things that weren't so baseball related. Um, I, I like that they were throwing a lot of things at the wall to see what sticks, yeah. right? You know, with the the different clubs and the different seatings, and that that was great. The I, A's I think access program really innovative. A lot of people really liked it. Some of the more traditional season ticket holders, I think, felt like it devalued their season tickets. But um, certain, thinking outside the box is great for a team in the A situation. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to do it. And going into this this thought of the new stadium, that uh, let's see what works and let's see what we can bring over. But like you said, they went too fast with the hiring and stuff for a new stadium that was not even close yet. Um, and well, now, uh, I can't even imagine where everything stands. Yeah. Right? We haven't even seen the environmental impact report. Um, everything, the timeline's going to be off. And the money, there's no money in Right, the city right. of Oakland has no money. Oh, there's no there. chance the city of Oakland can pay, you know, millions upon millions in infrastructure right now. You know, there's yeah. much bigger issues at hand. They're going to be laying off teachers and firefighters and things like that. That's not. It's just not going to happen. Which, as you know, David, you know what I'm going to say next because I always say it. This is why the Coliseum makes so much sense. If you want to get something done more quickly, they keep saying. Our spending on the team relies on a new stadium. So you want to do that quickly, theoretically. Um, and if you want to do it for a lot cheaper, you do it at the Coliseum. They've already bought half the Coliseum site. Or they have, at least they have an agreement to do it, and they've made one payment on that. So you assume that that's... Uh, although right now they're not paying rent on it. So no. <laughs> who the heck knows what's happening? <laughs> I just, I, I'm with you with the Coliseum site, and I've always had them. Uh, you can get shovels in the ground. You have plenty of space. The, the transportation's there. I, and I understand why the A's are reticent for that because yeah. they're looking into the future. They're looking, we want a downtown, we want to build in 50 years, what's it going to be like? Um, we've seen South Oakland, nothing's changed. I mean, they put a Walmart in South Oakland and it didn't do anything. Right. It closed, a Walmart closed. So yeah. they are have concerns. But at this point in time with the money, uh, the Coliseum makes the most sense uh, look at the jobs you can provide if you start construction on a, on a new coliseum. Yeah. Um, just everything that can happen. But here's what I really want to do. I want to be the guy to open the museum of artist renderings of possible A's stadium. <laughs> they've got to have a room somewhere. If they ever get a new stadium, they've got to have a room with all of those up. That would be awesome. 
it would just be spectacular. And the only place we don't have an artist rendering is a new coliseum or a new stadium on the coliseum grounds. Let's, That's do, let's commission one, David. What would it look like? <laughs> let's pull our, our vast funds and commission that. <laughs> Try it with little stick figures and stuff. As long as it has ice plant, I am fully on board. It's true. I mean, that was really one of the one of the best things about maybe one of the only good things about this whole shutdown and shelter in place was uh, seeing some of the old games at the Coliseum oh. on TV and seeing what the stadium looked like in its glory from the World Series days in the seventies uh, and then the late eighties. Uh, just to see what the Coliseum as it was vibing and what a cool, cool place it it really was. It was a great place to see a game. It, Mount Davis ruined it. I yes, now like people say, why don't you just knock down Mount Davis and then you could have that? You wouldn't have it. It needs so much work. The infrastructure. Shall I haul out my regular joke about how bad I feel about the Coliseum's infrastructure and people making fun of the sewage problems because I'm the same exact age as the Coliseum. It always kind of hurts me a little bit personally <laughs> when we take shots at the aging, crumbling Coliseum. But it is. They it needs they need a new building. You know, the issues with the sea level and the water incursion and, you know, things like that. We know about all of that. So new building would be great. But they could do it right there. And they could develop around there. You're right. So far, a lot of the development uh, kind of discussion in South Oakland has not been all that successful but you're right next to bart you're in an area that's still exploding in population there's tons of money and you're right next to a transportation hub which is that's going to become more and more and more important and you're right by the airport i mean this is just an area that is you know really ripe for development i think and you know you talk about downtown with the ballpark at howard terminal it's quite downtown you know it's a little you know what to be fair it's much like oracle park it's a little bit of a of a, of a trot from downtown. You know, you're gonna have to hike a little bit once you get off public transportation, but, uh, uh, or uh, unless the gondola is going, but, uh, I don't really see Oakland prioritizing gondolas at, at, at the current time. Not, but there's so list. many issues. We've talked about these for so, so many years, the real live railroad tax and the, you know, that freaking sinister steel caught on fire again this week. It's always on fire. Like, <laughs> Is that good <laughs> next to a ballpark? I don't know. Uh, just oh. I just don't know. I, I know that they could do something really great at the Coliseum site for less and quicker. And I'm very pragmatic. I, I, lo- I love the whole romantic idea of a waterfront ballpark. It would be phenomenal if they could get it done. I just don't know if they could get it done. We'll be back with more with David Feldman in just a moment. Let's talk about baseball. What happens okay. in a if they can get something done, David? If the if negotiations do, hey, this might be an obsolete podcast by the time it even <laughs> uh, gets onto your your iTunes or wherever you listen. Um, but what do you think a season looks like? They the owners are saying sixty games. We know the players want more because they are paid per game. That has been uh, you know kind of the very obvious tactic of the owners is to make this as short a season as possible to save in salary, which uh, that's terrible. Uh, 60 is too short. Uh, I would have liked to see something in really the 80 to 100 game range. I don't think we're going to get 80, 70-ish, high 60s. What do you see? Uh, Probably around 65 or 60 is what I see. I know a lot of of people 
kind of crunch the numbers and how the schedule would work, playing your division, playing so many interleague games. And it seems like 66 seems to be a workable number, um, especially if they want to do, they want to have 70 days of baseball season. And then the, what they talked about in this meeting earlier this week was 60 games in 70 days. That left the, the wiggle room to go to 65 or 66 games in, in 70 days, or maybe even expend, extend that a little bit. Um, it's definitely going to be a sprint. And this is, this is the other thing that's frustrating to me is that uh, this could have, once once anything gets settled, you always go, well, this could have been done two months ago and we could have had a 100-game season because um, we already agreed to playing full prorated salaries. We agreed upon that, and we could have done this. It, so as everybody will be joyful that a deal is made, it's still very frustrating that this could have been done two months ago. Is um, this a, is that a representative season if you're talking about, say, 60 games, <laughs> between 55 it, and 65 games? Is that a representative season? It's It's no. But it's very much like a college season. Um, so in which case, of, why not do round robin tournaments afterwards? That's what I like. Sixteen teams making the play. Were it, like it's basically the NHL. I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I, in favor I of the sixteen team. Like everybody's in. Everyone's a winner. Giants no, fans are I going think, like, "Hey, we can make the playoffs now." Is that exactly. a representative? Like they could. We've talked so many times, David. The times they've won the World Series, at least maybe more than once they were not the best team that year because they won the wild card and then got hot. They could have a losing season theoretically get into the postseason and win another world series. That would be a joke. Yeah. That's the hard part of it. Right. And people talking about that. Let's say Cleveland finally wins the world series. Is that really them breaking their, their world series drought going back to 1948? Is that, do we celebrate it like that? Well, um, the A's. Sure I mean, this is but... the best A's team really they've had since the early 2000s, I think. And yeah. I thought they had a legit shot at maybe winning it all this year. Certainly, I think they had a legit shot at the division, which I wouldn't have. I mean, you know, some of that was the the problems that the Astros brought on themselves. And some of that was the Astros losing some prominent members of their team. But uh, this is so A's. This would be the A's. Like, like the Earthquake World Series. Right. Really, you know, like people kind of discount stuff when there's a big major natural disaster. But especially now, my goodness, um, if you pay, play a 60 game season and then win it all, are people going to like, eh, the A's still can't really win playoff series. We don't know. We really, really don't know if that that doesn't count. So that seems a little I mean, it's yeah. all, it, there's bigger problems. I get it. You know, it's a worldwide pandemic. But for the A's, it's it's not the best. Here's my question, David. In a very short season, <laughs> how do the A's fare? They got a great team. You know, you go on paper. This works out great for them. They've got this great rotation. They don't have to worry about innings limits for Manaya, Puck, Lazardo, and throw everybody out there. They can keep Barreto and Mateo. Um, of course, a lot of teams are in all the is in the similar boat with them with all of that fresh arms, etc. Um, but the A's get off to such slow starts. You. I mean, you can't have a slow start. They can't even really have a slow week or two out of the gate if you're playing two months. So looking back over the last two years, right, they ended up in 97 win seasons. Uh, and you go, okay, so how did they do in the first 60 games? <laughs> last year, they were 30 and 30. And in 2018, they were 31 and 29. Um, and hey, you look 16 back, teams get in. 16, and that's going to help. But, you know, even if you go, all right, in 74, they won the World Series. They went 32 and 28. 73, they won the World Series. They went 31 and 29. This is not new, right? This is this is an A's 
especially in the early 2000 A's, you know, 2002, this is the 20 win, win streak team. They went 30 and 30 in the first 60 games. Um, it's just kind of their way. They tend to be slow starters and oh. then they turn it on after the all-star break. Well, in this situation, there's no all-star break to turn it on after <laughs> you have to hit the ground running. And, you know, again, all the teams are in the same boat. Um, in this case, it is really a sprint. Uh, the schedule is going to be different. It's probably going to be just West Coast based. You're going to play the AL West. You'll play the NL West. Um, how how that's going to work out? It, it's going to be so different. And I'm kind of with you. Instead of doing a traditional season, um, go to like almost a table format. Yeah. Uh, split the league in half, or split the league in quarters, and do each. You know. You, you spend in your division and then you go to the playoffs if you're these top four teams or whatever you can't have everybody make it because yeah. then you should just do a tournament just forget it this is just 60 games of preseason and then we'll do a tournament yeah um i love so there that. is no legitimacy we already know um, the season I, is essentially you know it's not a it's not a real season obviously it's not a real season yeah do something completely different like that can you imagine the interest then i think yeah. that, that'd be phenomenal hey we got a round yeah, robin tournament going on in major league baseball phenomenal yeah, it was very different yeah. um you know, i always think back to 1981 in the split season and they played up what, what, about 110 games um and it worked the way they did that um it was still odd it was the first time we ever had the vision series to determine an aos winner uh obviously the two best teams teams with the two best records didn't even make the playoffs uh the reds should have won the west didn't make the playoffs at all uh the a's had a chance to win the al west both halves, and that would have been a whole different thing. They were still would have played the Royals to try and win the division, which would have made no sense. Um, it was it was convoluted, but at least it built excitement. So I think right. you do have to change things up. Yeah. Um, and we're also seeing now they're going to go to Universal DH. Yay! Which, yeah, we know with the upcoming labor thing that's going to happen after the 2021 season, which is going to be just ferocious. That whole negotiation, but Universal DH was probably going to be a thing, and, it, and it's time. And and people talk about the strategy, and we're going to lose this deal. First of all, there is no strategy. We all know if the pitcher is going to bat, he's going to bunt if there's somebody on base. Um, and what we're seeing now, especially in the way the starters are used, starting pitchers usually come to bat less than two times a game, right? Because they're already being replaced and being pinch hit for. So. Yeah, you don't get to see as many different players perform, and I get the thrill of that, but it's not changing the strategy anymore because you really are just using a designated hitter for the pitcher every time he's up in the National League. So now it's just one guy. It always um, makes me laugh because I remember when Tony La Russa was with the A's. He, um, I think it was in George Will's book. He had this big, long explanation yeah. about how it's actually harder to manage in the American League. You have to There is more strategy. You have to know your bullpen better. Your bullpen strategy has to be much more uh, emphasized because there's not this automatic, well, I got to lift this pitcher for a pinch hitter. Uh, and then the second he went to the Cardinals, he was like, oh, there's so much more strategy involved with the pitchers hitting. <laughs> so you can argue both yeah. sides for sure. I get that. But there's you one, know, there's exactly one pitcher I want to see hit. And that, well, no, two. I amend that. Madison Bumgarner, okay. And Brett Anderson. And that's it. So <laughs> that's that's it. My The thing that drives me nuts is pitching around the number eight hitter. It drives me, that's really, it's less the pitcher hitting than the watching Eric Sogard or somebody get pitched around. Like, no. Yeah, no, it it, it is. And if if a good manager is on top of things, you're going to pitch around the seven and the eight hitter. Yeah. 
because um, there's just no reason to. And Tony's argument, and I remember this very well in the George Will book, was in the American League, you have to make the decision to take the pitcher out. Yeah. You have to decide when he's done. You have to know your bullpen. You have to know your starter. Yeah. yeah. And but one thing that I really like when we do play baseball is the, the three batter minimum. No, you like that? Oh, Feldy, I'm sorry. We can't be friends anymore. No, I do. And I'll tell you why. If you have a left-handed pitcher whose job is to get left-hander hitters out, and you bring them, let's say you bring them with two outs in an inning, right? So you know if the inning ends, you can take them out. Right. Um, and he gives up a hit to the left-handed hitter, or he doesn't get the left-handed hitter out. He gets punished for that. And I like that. You should be punished <laughs> for not doing your job. You're just so mean. No. I don't just, like it because it, baseball should be a simple sport, right? You, you throw your gloves out, you throw bats out, every, same rules everywhere. Little league, you name it. Now we're adding complication upon complication in what's supposed to be a very, you know, four balls is a walk, three three strikes is a, you're, you're out. Uh, oh, but also you have to face three batters if you come on in relief. Like, ugh. I like it. I think, like I think I think it does add strategy. Don't I think like it, it, it changes rules. the way you set up your lineup. I think it sets up the way you use your pitcher and how much trust you have in your guys. Um, well, this is David Feldman's final appearance ever on Ace Plus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it it doesn't. It's not going to impact the game as much as people think. It's going to take away some jobs for that one-handed lefty, that one, yeah, that one batter. Jerry Blevins. Why? Why are you going to be so mean to Jerry Blevins? Yeah, and then. <laughs> Uh, but I like the punishment aspect. Now, this is what I don't like, and it's going to happen, and it's going to cause problems, is when that guy goes out on the mound in a big moment, and he can't throw strikes, yeah. and you're stuck with him. Um, that's going to be an issue, and that's where the fake fake injury is going to happen or something wacky, um, and I- it's going to happen. It's going to happen in a big moment, and it's going to be bad. Uh, it's not going to, you know, they did this for basically for pace of play reasons. It's not going to really make that huge a difference. I don't think, no. um, the problems where it existed, were the postseason, where, yeah. as we know, it was, there were, they were absolutely abusing that, um, partly because they could. Um, so I do get that. However, now, and I talked to Ken Rosenthal about this last year, I remember, cause he was, he was very much in favor of it. And I was like, yeah, you could potentially have the seventh game of the World Series decided by this rule because right. you have a bring in a reliever who just does not have it. And because of this rule that's been implemented, not because of a, a manager's strategy, but because a guy does not have it that day, loses the team, loses the world seventh game of the World Series for this team. Yeah. And I don't like that. I don't. It's not. It's just not. The way baseball should be. If a guy comes in and doesn't have it, I guess this is where you go like, oh, gosh, he has a blister on a, you can't see it, but it's definitely a blister. That I guess that's when you do that, but you shouldn't have to do that. We're going to see a lot of that, by the way, for sure. That's to me. That's my one thing that I don't like about it. And the other thing that's interesting is, is this was really abused in September. Yeah. Right. When bullpens were up to 20 guys in the bullpen and managers had this option to match up every hitter. Well, they kind of took care of that when they went to the 28 man rosters in September. So that wasn't going to be an issue, uh, at least for the for few coming seasons. Um, but overall, I don't like it in the postseason. I'm with you there because I, I do think we're going to get that situation. It's going to decide something that it shouldn't. But overall, for a regular season, I actually do like it. I like the fact that if you don't do your job, you get punished. 
So the postseason is where it was being abused and was making like games interminable. So interminable. So you don't want it there, but you do no. want it in the regular season where it was not yeah. nearly as much of an issue. Gotcha. That yeah. makes sense, David. Yeah. Well, again, so your final appearance. Thanks. The, the the what's interesting watching uh, these re reruns of playoff games on Major League Baseball Network. Um, you notice the editing that's being done. They're editing out the downtime between pitches. Right. Right. So the games are much the pace of these games when you watch them. You're going, oh, it's kind of enjoyable. It's going fast. Uh, that to me, the postseason, the pace of the game wasn't the pitching changes as much as the interminable commercial breaks that were just forever. 100%. Uh, and then just the pace of how the game was played, how long it was between pitches and, and all that. Uh, more so than, than the than the pitching changes, but, uh, uh, yeah. Well, Folly, I don't want to keep you forever. Um, but I do have two quick questions for you to wrap up. So, um, in, in as few words as possible, pretend you pretend you're a lefty coming in and trying to work quickly. (laughs) Um, A's draft. What, what were your, uh, impressions of the five round draft and what the A's did and and how they did? I think they did well. I I think shadow home as as the first round pick was, was, fall into their laps. And I think that paid off for them. Um, you know, the baseball draft is always a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, you know, you can scout and, and think you're, you've got everything nailed down and you think, you know what a player is going to be. And it turns out that's not how he is at all. Once he gets into professional baseball, uh, but on paper looks good. The second round pick out of Michigan, you know, this guy looks like a legitimate starter. Um, after that, who knows? So, so good for them. I think more importantly is what players they can sign for $20,000, find those diamonds in a rough. Um, Cause there's a lot of good baseball players that haven't peaked yet and haven't maybe, you know, shown enough to be a, a top five draft pick. But with the scouts having done their jobs, I think there are some diamonds out there that you can snatch up now at a very cheap price. They're going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. It's uh I, I hate the five round draft, but uh, I, there's no place to send those guys anyway. So no. you know what? I guess uh, everything gets upended this year, and uh, we'll see. I like it. I like I like the Soderstrom pick. I, you know, I, 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 everything I've heard from all the A's scouts that were in those areas were highly enthusiastic. So I, I think they did well. You just uh, these things take a while to to pan out, obviously. Um, and um, my final question for you is. Say the A's can keep 30 guys, which looks like that's probably it. it maybe they designate a couple guys uh, each day as inactive or something. That's that's probably going to be a, one of the possibilities. Do they keep both Barreto and Mateo in this instance? I think they do. I think you have to because you don't know. First of all, one of them is going to win the starting job, right? And, Are and they? The or is it Tony Kemp? Or camp. I mean, you have you know four guys, maybe even five guys. It's, it's noisy still here, right? Um, competing for this. Um, you don't know who's going to be the hottest or who's going to go. Uh, so if you have the chance to keep some of these guys, why not? Um, as the roster configuration is and how we, if there's going to be a taxi squad or you're able to move guys around, you activate so many guys for the game. Uh, you hold on to as many guys as you can hold on to at this point. Um, just not knowing. Uh, Franklin Barreto. Right? We've talked about him for oh, three years now. Um, and we'll say it again. Uh, ex- outside of playing the White Sox, he has been a bad baseball player. Yeah, we haven't um, seen much. You know, 
have not seen enough to say this guy can play every day up here. His, his pitch recognition skills are horrendous. Um, you know, we haven't seen Mateo at all at this level, so we don't know. We haven't seen Machine at this level. We don't know. Uh, Tony Kemp, we've seen enough of, but he hasn't been outstanding. Um, he gives you versatility because he can play the outfield as well as second base. Um, and I think you're going to look for that, too. I think you're going to look for people who are a little more versatile because in a shortened spring training and a shortened season, injuries are going to be devastating to teams unless you can replace them. Yeah, and there's going to be some. There's going to be. I yeah. think that they've they've shown in some of these other leagues where people have had these shortened seasons uh, that get in the preparation, just in the you know quick preparations to get going. A lot of muscle pulls, a lot of muscle strains. Uh, so that's good. We're gonna, I think we're going to have floods of those. Yeah. So depth, this is huge. I think the A's are in a good spot pitching wise. So they do have a lot of depth in the, in the pitching staff. And now that they've had three months for, you know, injured guys to help recover, um, that's going to put them in a good spot. It's just, it's going to be just so strange knowing, okay, here's 60 or 65 games, whatever it ends up being and go. I mean, you have, you have to win right away. Every game is the biggest game. It's almost like a football season. That's one of the reasons I like Mateo. You know, the A's don't use pinch runners very often, but the guy can fly. So, you know, I've got, I always kind of like having one guy on the bench with a ton of speed. He's got it. So, you know, make a difference in one game in a 162 game season. Not that big a deal. You make a difference in one game in a 60 game season. Big deal. So. See? David, I hope we're talking Washington. About... Yeah, this is this is his year. We need a Herb Washington. Yeah, absolutely. Look at look what happens. David Feldman, thank you for joining us on Ace Plus. It's been a long time. It might be a really long time now after this, <laughs> after the three bet minimum fiasco. You're gonna love it. You're gonna. You guys didn't even get to see it in spring training. Complain every they, single they... time. I'm gonna text you every single time. Thumbs down. <laughs> uh, Next time we will be talking, I certainly hope, about real, real, real baseball, or at least a very short season of real baseball. Um, but until then, thanks for joining us on A's Plus, and uh, we, we value all your opinions except for the one obvious wrong one. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> our thanks again to David Feldman for joining us on A's Plus. You can find him on Twitter, at DFeldy. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back with more Ace Plus next week. Thanks for listening. Ace Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Mm-hmm.